you know, don't think you're getting into this to get rich quick. Uh, it, it doesn't usually work like that. You can be deceived by some of the TV shows you see on there where people say, oh, I went viral overnight and this cost me a thousand dollars to set it up. And, you know, re, re, you know, sometimes you can't get lucky like that. I'm not saying you can't, but 90% of the time, 99% of the time, quite honestly, you're not going to. This is uh, Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. So I'm your host, Devin Miller, um, founder of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with uh, patents uh, for their inventions, trademarks for their brands, and copyrights for their creatives. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and love to help startups and small businesses. So today we have a great guest on that will tell about his journey. Um, he, he gets to do or, or do the fun things every day of working with sandcastles. And so he's now created a business around the, the fun, uh, fun time of doing sandcastles. So welcome, Kevin. Have, great to have you on. Thank you, Devin. Thank you so much for having me. We, we really appreciate it. Oh, always fun to have you on. So tell us a little bit, you know, always, I, I, I'm a little jealous in the sense that, you know, I, I, I work at patents and trademarks and I love my work, but uh, I think you, uh, you beat the, you take the cake or beat me out as far as the funnest job of getting to, a, to work with sandcastles on a regular basis. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing and how you got started. Yeah, don't be deceived though. Sometimes it gets really hot out there and I, have, I mean, I've become a babysitter too, so don't be deceived. <laughs> <laughs> So long story short, um, you know, this was, this idea was born out of Creative Castle. That's our business name. I was born up on the beaches of Laguna Beach, California, back in 2016. I married a Greek girl many years ago, over 20 years ago, and we have family all over the country. We decided to go on vacation out to California to visit some family. And, you know, I've been sculpting with my kids for, you know, 10, 15 years at that point. And I saw dad and his son using one of the traditional flip folds that everybody and their grandma has, and they flipped it over, poorly manufactured, the plastic broke, they lifted it, the whole top half still broke off because of the vacuum issue, and they just got frustrated and quickly ended up running into the water, boogie boarding like most people do. <laughs> and, you know, that's when the light bulb went off, and I said, oh my gosh, I'm holding all these tools that just don't know how to do everything that, that I know how to do from the years of experience. I wonder if there's a way I could help them. So quickly went home, did some research, did a patent search, started talking to an engineering team mm. and looked up different type of products on Amazon and walmart.com and realized there was nothing out there. So quickly brought it to life. And the cool thing about this story is, is it actually, it, trend, it really goes back all the way to my youth. Um, so I'm a twin and as a twin, my mom and dad, you know, they divorced early on. So my mom moved us in with our grandmother. Mm. And then he started up a whole bakery and it was called Heidi's Cake and Cookie Shop. And basically, you know, we would be running around our tables or making these elaborate wedding cakes, hoping that they didn't fall from us running around them. So mm. my mom instantly saw my passion for drawing and doing all these different artistic things as a kid. So she realized, geez, why don't I try to calm him down a little bit? Got me some books called Draw 50 Books. And while I was drawing castles out of this book the book basically taught you step by step how to build castles and buildings i really focused on castles and would watch them bake their cakes with their split pans lo and behold 40 years plus later you create a castle was born and it's like making a cake in the sand or in the snow now it's unbelievable 
Well, and on both attempts, I would probably fail. My cakes never turn out well. And I'm always that dad that just like you had, had the bucket that always falls off. I don't know I've had a bucket break, but usually it's either not wet enough or it's too wet. I'll flip it over and it falls apart. So no, yeah. that's interesting. So yeah, there's still, there's, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, there's still that science. There's still that consistency. <laughs> but I do have a lot of videos that takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. And every single beach varies greatly. So, you know, one beach in California, the sand texture and pack, you know, the way it packs could be completely different from what the East Coast offers. So it's a lot of guessing. Sometimes you can stack, sometimes you can't, but it doesn't matter. It's a whole lot of fun either way. So we'll get into a little bit more of your business in a minute, but just as kind of as an aside and goes along with this, you, you, you've been, you said you've been building sand castles now for 15 years. Oh, uh, that was uh, two years, closer to 20 years now. Yeah. So my son is 18. So I really started the second, you know, that he was born, we started going to the beach and I started doing it with him pretty much since then. So he's coming up on 19 years old. So it's been, you know, probably more than that because I even did a little bit before then. So a little over 20 years, I'd say. All right. So what is out of all, for 20 years of sandcastle building, what's the coolest cat? What's the, I'll ask two, what's the biggest castle you ever built and what's the coolest castle you've ever built? Sure. So uh, I would definitely say one of the, the biggest and coolest castle combined would probably have to be down in Siesta Key, Florida, or mm-hmm. Fort Myers Beach, Florida, um, where I, I do a bunch of events. I'll go to sand sculpting events and sell their product under, you know, out of a town. I'm a vendor. Mm-hmm. And before the event, we'll do, you know, super elaborate structures, somehow, you know, showing how far you could take the system. So we did about probably an eight foot tower mm-hmm. out of sand down at Siesta Key and Fort Myers. And, uh, you know, people were coming over thinking it was part of the event in reality, not realizing that they could do the stuff that we did after probably a, you know, year or two of practice. Really? Okay, cool. Well, then, that, uh, that beats every sand castle I've ever built all the way combined. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the, the really cool thing about our product is, is the snow factor too. So the tallest snow castle is in the snow. The snow, you can go a lot taller because it weighs less than sand. If the consistency, if you know, if it's a real packable snow, it weighs next to nothing, hmm. binds beautifully. So I went um, with a wider base. I went almost 18 feet in the snow at St. Paul, Minnesota. That's a cool idea. And I, I know, I don't know if I've ever built a snow. I built snow forts and I use, and then we use, usually will check uh, snowballs at each other for that. But yep. I, I built snow or snowmen. I, I think I, the highest I built, I did one, one year I did like an, I think it was a 10 foot uh, snowman that I had to have like two other people help me to get the big balls on top, but I've never tried a uh, snow castle. So I'm out here in Utah. We do, we get a good, a good amount of snow. So I'll have to try that next year. Yeah. If it's dry snow, all you do is you add a little bit of water with the watering can on the way up and ice it. That's it. All right, cool. So now, now, now that we've taken a, a good rabbit hole of the aside, we'll go back to your story. So started out as a bakery and I think you mentioned you had a twin. He was more the analytic type. You were more the artistic type. You liked yep. to got your book, figured out how to build castles, watched your, you know, your family as they were baking cakes and said, okay, now I can do that. Now on castles all the way up to fast forward to, you know, I think you said 2016 when you're watching a father and son bucket falls apart and said, okay, now I can do that. So you've got all that. You know how to build castles. How do you build a business around that? Or how did you take that from, okay, I know how to make a kid or I know how to do this. How did you start to build that business? Yeah. So that, that's always a tricky part. Um, you know, coming up with the idea is the easy part. If it hits you, 
Hmm. Now the difficult part becomes, do I want to make that next big leap? Do I want to make the investments in not only capital, but also time and energy and everything? Hmm. So I, I took that leap really, um, you know, I started out with 3D printing. Um, you know, when I got home, we did some quick prototypes. I had access because I'm, I'm also in the, uh, the internet space. Hmm. I have a lot of access to tech, you know, tech background. So I knew some people at MakerBot. And I, you know, was working with an engineer already at this point. He catted out some files and some ideas, hmm. brought it to a 3D printer down in Brooklyn, New York at uh, MakerBot. They started ripping 3D prints almost overnight for me. And I would basically, I would start experimenting in my house because it was the, still the middle of the winter when I first got my prototype. Hmm. But come spring, I would bring my prototypes. And I did have a couple of machine prototypes at that point too, CNC machine prototypes. Hmm. I would bring them to the beach. and I would basically set up in the busiest area that I could find. Um, so I like to attribute that, you know, some salesmen go door to door. I would go beach to beach, find the busiest area with the most doors around me being the eyeballs and start building and seeing what I could lure, you know, how many people I could lure in, how many people have interest. And at one point I looked up, there was probably 50, 60, maybe even 70 people in a circle around me watching saying, Oh my gosh, how did you just build that thing that quick? We watched what you did. So I knew at that point I, I had was onto something. And um, once we went to the T1 phase for the trial one phase of the actual product, that's when it was, a you know, became a real product. And I actually had random people coming up to me offering to invest in the business. Then I knew I had to really kind of put the pedal to the metal because it's not every day you, you, you know, you come up with a product where random strangers are willing to invest. That, that is cool. I, I'll jump back to you because there's a lot of cool things in there. But I think the one is, is that, you know, you're, how you went about just figuring, first of all, building a market, building an audience. I think it's great that you just, hey, where am I going to sell this? It's at the beach. I'll just go build really cool sandcastles. And everybody will yes. think they're so cool. They'll want to know how to build them themselves. So I think that, first of all, you know, it's free marketing in the sense you don't have to pay anybody for it. And it probably does a whole lot more and a lot cooler and gets a lot more people wanting to buy your product than even, you know, whether it's a Facebook ad or a YouTube video, I think the getting out there and showing people, I think that's an awesome way to, to start to get both feedback as well as start to build an audience or a following. So I think that's a, that's a great, uh, great insight as to not all marketing. You have to go pay a lot of money or you have to go and do a whole bunch of focus groups, just get it out there and, and see what people think of it. Yeah, it's a real grassroots way of doing it, and it was cost-effective, and, you know, all out, I think I had to probably spend $1,500 in the CNC machining and the mm. 3D printing, and I was out there, you know, putting it in front of eyeballs that I knew mattered. No, that, that, is, that is pretty cool. So, and then the other one that you touched on, too, is you had people coming up and saying, hey, I want to invest, or, and that's usually the opposite, right? Usually, most companies are Hey, I've got a great idea. Now I got to go figure out how to, you know, get people to pay or, you know, fund yeah. it or how I'm going to to build it and everything else. And you'll go invest or pitch a whole bunch of investors or a whole bunch of people, or you'll go to friends and family and you get, you've got the opposite, not problem, but the opposite experience of you got people that are coming up saying that's such a cool product or such a fun business that I want to invest. So I think kudos to you on both of those, both that you were able to find out ways to promote it as well as to get people that are coming to you that are wanting to invest. Yeah, you know, a lot of it is just is putting it out there, you know, that that's part of inventing something. Hmm. You know, no matter what you invent, you got to find your target audience. Mine happened to be on a beach and continually put it out there. 
you know, I got to the point where I actually got sick of going to beaches and sick of building sandcastles because I was doing it almost every day. Mm. But I realized that if I didn't do that, I'm missing a potential opportunity. One of which happened on a random beach and the right person happened to walk by. And the next thing I knew, I ended up on iHeartRadio doing a podcast uh, just like this one at W-O-R-A-M, I think it is, hmm. uh, where Rush Limbaugh and all these famous people talk were walking down the hallways. And I was like, how did I end up here? And I always think back it's because I put my product out there yeah. and the right person happened to walk by at the right time. That's what I said. And, and before we uh, started recording, we were talking about how we were both wearing hats about our business. And, you know, it's a great, yeah. it's a free, easy way to promote of, hey, I'm just wearing around a hat. If somebody happens to see it and ask about it, then no harm, no foul. It's, a, you know, without having to do any additional work other than walking around, same type of idea. So I always think that it's great for businesses to you know, always be selling and always be looking for those opportunities. And if you're going to the beach, you might as well uh, take your kit and show, or show it off type of a thing. So you did hit on, I'll, switching gears slightly, you did hit on one of the other key words that I always like to hit or hit it on, and it's because I'm personally biased. So you said you did a patent search, you know, and kind of looked at it initially when you're getting into it. So how did that go? Did you do it on your own? Did you have an attorney do it? Good experience, bad experience? You know, how did, you know, kind of what was that process for you? Yeah, you know, I, I got really frustrated at first because I was like, oh my gosh, this is like digging through the USPTO was it's not the easiest thing to do in the world. And then I started searching you, you, for- On that note, you would think that the technology, where they work with a whole bunch of technology, and that's basically the whole part of the government, that it would be an easy site or it'd be great. And yet it's the worst setup. And I always um, I always tell people go to Google Patents or Google, I think it's google.com slash patents or whatever. That is so much easier to work on. That's, ended, that's where I was heading. So basically I had, you know, I was doing a search for patents on Google and Google Patents popped up and I'm like, Oh my God, this is so much easier than USBTO. So it was just like instant keyword. You could do all the search filtering you needed to right inside of Google. And that's ultimately where I started looking for, you know, similar type products, similar patents. And I realized, you know, after doing thousands of searches, I was coming back with nothing, literally nothing like what I was dreaming of. Hmm. So that combined with knowing that the marketplace had a void, um, being Amazon and Walmart.com and bigger chain stores, I realized that, you know, there, there's a real possibility that I could actually get this as a, you know, a patented product, which so, we did. We now have a utility patent, five design patents. We have IP in China, Australia, Canada. I'm looking at Mexico. So it's, you know, it's one of those things. You just do your due diligence up front and figure out if it's worthwhile. Well, kudos because, yeah, I think that even when I and, I, and I'm always biased, I always tell people to come to an attorney, but <laughs> with that, I always think that it's great to do your homework beforehand because, you know, you can come to an attorney and we can do it, but you might as well go out and do a bit of searching, looking around yourself and seeing, hey, before I go pay an attorney, you know, money to do the same thing, I might as well do the due diligence. Let's go, you know, sometimes I'll sit down with an inventor and say, well, did you even Google this to see if you know something else? No, I never looked it up. I'm like, well, at least Google it, like, you know, see if that's yeah. exactly product is out there because sometimes it is and if not then you get a better idea and then you go you can do a little bit of searching yourself well before you engage an attorney and it's, it can save you both time effort as well as get, you know educate yourself on it so I think that's that's cool so now jumping back so now we we went down the slight rabbit hole just because you mentioned patents and I'm always uh, you know <laughs> a little biased on that so you've now been on QVC a few times you've been I think you've been toy of the year so how do you, you know, what's that experience? Well, I guess I'll start with QVC just because I always watch Shark Tank 
and Lori always tells or tells everybody how great QVC is. I don't know if I've ever watched QVC, but it, I hear it's great. So what was it like to be at QVC? Yeah, QVC was amazing. And again, I, I got that from, again, being on a beach, right place at the right time. The girl who got me on iHeartRadio introduced me to someone else. I had to do a pitch off. Mm. It was, uh, her name is Lisa Askeley. She's this adventurous woman. She's invented like over 100 different products. And she runs this group. Uh, so she, she does a whole pitch off thing in the you know, spring and summer. And she invited me when she found out about my product and I had to go up against eight other, seven other inventors. And I was pitching off in front of a Shark Tank recruiter, the lead Shark Tank recruiter, I think for the entire East Coast was there. Hmm. So I ended up winning that pitch off. I was just blown away. I won the services of this woman. Next thing I know, you know, within four or five months, she's like, all right, we're going to QVC. I got you in. You're going to pitch in front of a buyer at QVC. And uh, did the pitch went super smooth other than uh, a bunch of baking soda that I simulate snow with. I went to wipe my nose and I almost got baking soda all over my nose. <laughs> but other than that, everything went great. We got on QVC and QVC is, is incredible. I mean, it's, hmm. it's a lot of work to get there. Um, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of things that you got to do. You know, it looks on the surface like an iceberg. You see the beautiful tip and that's it. But all the stuff underneath is mm. all the legwork. So it's a lot of work to get on QVC, mm. but I mean, where else, what beach could I possibly go to where I can move almost a hundred units a minute? Like that's, that's the power of the networking that they have, you know, it's just the right audience. And I wasn't even on an, an our peak sale season. They put us on, I think it was in the middle of July. So it was probably a little bit slower. Mm. And they put us on in June or May. Well, I think we would have done, done probably three to 400 units a minute easily. That's awesome. That's so, a pretty good, pretty good amount of sales. So it must have been a, a people like the product. So that's awesome. So then yeah. you do that. And then not only do you go to QVC. Now, I think recently, I think it was this year, right? You did Toy of the Year. Yep. So we just, uh, we were a finalist for 2020 Toy of the Year. And I had to self-promote, get a ton of votes from, you know, all the, the users that I built up over the past two plus years. Mm. And it was also weighted on judged, internal judge panel, some of my people that voted for me, external, and then a whole slew of different, you know, things that they judge and base upon. And we had to go to the Toady Awards. They're called the Toady Awards. It's almost like the Oscars for <laughs> the toy industry. Huh. The biggest of the biggest names are there. So literally there was three people there who were inducted into the Hall of Fame that night. Mm. Uh, one was the inventor of color forms. The other was the inventor of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figurines. Hmm. And the last one was the founder of Little Tykes. Hmm. And my category happened to be immediately after Little Tykes. And now I'm, you know, we're a two-plus-year-old company. I'm like, there's no way we're going to win this. We're going up against Razor, Hasbro, all these major corporations. Hmm. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm happy being a finalist. And they <laughs> called our name. And I had made notes on my phone just in case. I did have to go up, so I had a whole speech written and everything. My wife yelled, got so excited, she hands both phones to everybody at the table to hit record as we're up there. And we're up there taking photos, and I looked at my wife, and I said, where's the phone? So I need my speech. She's like, they're at the table. you got to wing it. <laughs> You're like, oh, so no. Now i got to wing it in front of all the most powerful people in the world <laughs> in the toy industry. Um, you know, following up immediately after the founder of Little Tykes, which was a totally emotional, emotional uh -huh. thing. Did, so, but it was, you know, it went well and, you know, it was just 
sometimes you're better off winging it, I think, rather than, you know, being completely scripted. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's an awesome award to win and lots of, lots of kudos to you. So it sounds like things are going great. So always add in the podcast of two questions, but before that, what's next? So what's next for Creative Castle, whether it's new audiences, new products, building the company, promoting it more, kind of what do you see you guys is doing in the next six years to, or six months to a year? Yeah. So, you know, winning a Tory year, Tory the Year Award actually gave me incredible leverage now. So now it's put me at this crossroad where I need to make, now I need to put my business hat on and I need to make literally decisions as to which path or paths to take. So we're in talks with major companies where they may potentially take over manufacturing, um, do all the marketing, all that, that heavy lifting. And then I get a kickback or royalties based on all the sales that they do globally. Hmm. Um, and, or I could find an investor and kind of drive this on my own and keep more in my pocket, but, you know, put a lot more work in. So yeah. this is really, you know, and I'm super passionate about this. Mm. And it's almost like, you know, anybody who's going to invent something, it's, it's really your baby. You know, it's like yeah. you had your kids in life and then this becomes another kid in a sense where you're nurturing it, you're fostering it, you're trying to do everything you can to mm. make it be the healthiest that it could possibly be. And it's it's hard to think about me letting go of the grip that I have on my baby to some giant corporation that would be mass producing it. But mm. I need to look at all the avenues and say what's going to be best for the business and kind of weigh all the weigh all the options and see where we go from there. But I mean, we're in talks with big, big chain stores now, too, on my own if I go that route. So. so. One option, you may, uh, you may do the, I'll keep doing, building it myself, maybe investor dollars, maybe keep bootstrap or bootstrapping it. The other option is, is maybe I'll go with the big, uh, one of the big names or the big pr- or producers and let them sell or let them promote it, push it and get a, ro- or a license or royalty. Mm-hmm. No? Sounds That's like it. both it good options sure. to have and uh, it'll be a, a, a fun to see how it plays out for you in 2020. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, at this point with COVID, I'm really looking more towards 2021. We didn't see this, this gigantic uh, speed bump that we all hit, but you know, it's the, what's the old saying, a a skilled seller was never made in a comm C. So like, I look at this as an opportunity to make myself a better and wiser businessman through troubling times. No, I, I think that's, I always look at, you know, when anytime there's a disruption or chaos or change in the marketplace, it always presents opportunities if you can figure out how to or utilize that. And I'm not at all saying you take advantage of COVID, but if you're saying everybody's having to adjust business models and figure out new ways of doing it, it always presents, let's see, see how we can or u- utilize that or make sure our business is stronger because of it. So I completely yeah. agree. Yes. Yeah, sometimes so, you just have to pivot. You have to pivot. Yep. Okay. Well, now I did mention I have two last questions for the podcast that I always ask. So the first one is, so what is the worst business decision you ever made? Worst business decision I ever made would probably be um, early on when we did this, we wanted to save a little bit of capital up front. Mm. So when we formed the molds, um, we did what's called a multi-cavity mold. Mm. And a multi-cavity mold basically means that the steel is formed. So it's shooting out two parts. It's shooting out multiple parts out of our product at once. Mm. Um, That's probably one of the biggest mistakes I made because now we sell the parts because you don't have to stack a pro kit all the time. So you can use the six inch cylinder. We sell that independently. We sell each part independently. So now looking backwards, I'm like, you know, man, every single time I shoot out a six inch mold, 
I have to mm. shoot out a five inch corbel with it and I don't always need that. Mm. So that was a pretty critical mistake. You know, I mean, it's a mistake. It's a costly one because I'm going to probably have to do a new mold now, independent, six inch cylinder that'll be independent. Mm. Um, that and also really factoring in um, shipping less air. You know, you want to really pack as much product as you can into a container. And these are things that I didn't really think through that clearly up front. So we're making some some changes and retooling right now to fix a couple of those problems. Hmm. I don't think a lot of people understand, you know, until you've got through it, molding can be expensive. It's not a, you know, it's not a cheap 3d printing is great in the sense that you can, you know, that can be pretty cost effective. You get into yeah. molding, it can be 50,000, hundred thousand plus per mold. And, you know, yeah. it, it adds up and yeah, you can, you know, once you have the mold, it's nice, but anytime you have to do retooling or do, re- or do a new mold, it can be pricey. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, initially I think our, our tooling, initial tooling cost was close to 60K. Yeah. And now, you know, I've done a retool already once to make the product better. Now I'm, do, I'm going on a third retool to make the product even better than what it is. I'm probably all out going to be 80, 90,000, even close to $100,000 in just for the tooling. So you were pretty much almost spot on. You get it. You know, you know that there's a heavy price associated. Yep. Unfortunately. I mean, that's, but that's the night one nice driver with, um, with, uh, 3d printing is at least sometimes you can work out a lot of those, but it used to be even worse because you'd have to do more iterations and now that doesn't, I just wasted, you know, 50,000 on a mold that I can't even use. At least now you can work out a lot of those bugs with 3d printing. So at least it's getting better. It'd be nice when, you know, nice when you can just do 3d printing on everything or otherwise I'm old. Although I, you know, as another slide aside, I have, we do uh, on one of my other businesses, we do some um, product development and, uh, and things for a few companies. And we do, so we do, we have a few different 3d printers. I've always wanted to get the metal 3d printers. And I always wondered if you could ever do a mold using the metal 3d printers and reduce costs that way. So that's always a, that's just an aside of a, a wonder I've always had. You know, I wouldn't be surprised in the next few years if it gets there, quite honestly, I think that you're going to start seeing, you know, 3d printing is really changing our world behind the scenes a lot of people don't even know it so definitely no i was even talking with the medical company that they're doing you know plastics and it's for a completely different company for medical devices and they're now all doing um they looked at it and they could do molding but they can do good or they can do all of their product their final product now with 3d printing and it's significantly cheaper and they can hit the same benchmark as far as product you know amount of product they can make with 3d printing as they can with molding so they opted to go the cheaper route at least initially to do that so i think it was a, it's a it's a very evolving and up or you know i think for on the business application has a lot of avenues well the last question and then i'll let you go so the other the second question that i always ask is so if you're getting somebody that wants to get into a startup you know start their own startup or small business and either just started or wanting to get into what would be your one piece of advice you'd give them Biggest piece of advice is, um, you know, don't think you're getting into this to get rich quick. Uh, Mm -hmm. It doesn't usually work like that. You can be deceived by some of the TV shows you see on there where people say, oh, I went viral overnight and this cost me a thousand dollars to set it up. And, you know, you know, sometimes you can't get lucky like that. I'm not saying you can't, but 90% of the time, 99% of the time, quite honestly, you're not going to, I mean, this has been a two year journey two-year plus journey for me now that has been intense. I mean, like a lot of work, a lot of thought process, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of sleepless nights, 
highs and lows like it is with any, you know, entrepreneur. And you just have to go into it with a clear mind, knowing that this isn't going to generally be something that happens overnight. It's putting yourself out there a lot, sweat, tears, blood, and all of it, the whole, the whole kitchen sink and everything. It's, you got to put it all in. And if you don't, you're going to get back what you do put in. So that's really what, what I would, the biggest advice I would give is put it all out there. If you're going to do this and put the pedal to the metal and don't look back. No, I, I agree. There's a lot of great ideas out there that never go anywhere. And it's not because they weren't good ideas. It's because people didn't go all in or they didn't, uh, they didn't actually take that next step of rather than just um, keep thinking about it or keep, you know, daydreaming, you actually do it. So I think going all in is great. You know, I always like, you know, the, as the old saying goes, you know, business, you know, an over, you're an overnight success 10 years in the making and yeah. very holds very true that you always see the the overnight success and you think, wow, if I could just go viral, if I could just have that one, you know, one shot and yet it's putting yourself out there continually making your, making the opportunities so that when that one shot comes along that you're ready for it. So great advice. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's fun to hear um, all of your journey or success and look forward to seeing how 2020 goes for, for you. Um, for anybody else, the listeners or people that are wanting to get involved, um, we'll give you his contact information and how to reach out in a minute. If you're looking to need help for uh, patents or trademarks or copyrights, feel free to reach out to us. We always are here to make sure that we help startups and small businesses to make sure they protect and grow their business. So if you need us, feel free to reach out to us. Ken, if people want to, or sorry, Ken, Kevin, if, you, if people want to reach out to us uh, or reach out to you and get involved, whether it's buy a, buy a castle and buy the kit, or if they want to, if they're an investor and want to help you grow, or what, what's the best way to reach out to you? Sure. The best, easiest way is start at createacastle.com. Um, nice, easy name to remember. And to direct, uh, you know, contact me directly. Just uh, you would email klane, K-L-A-N-E at createacastle.com and you know all of our social media and handles and all that are all on our website it's all create a castle handles awesome well i certainly wish you the best we will direct everybody your way that is uh, looking to create you're getting into the uh, you know covid maybe a little bit different but everybody else otherwise hopefully they're able to hit the beaches and uh use your products and i think that'll be a, that's an awesome product and i i I look forward to next time I'm planning to go to the to beach to, to get a kit and to do it with my kids. So thank you again for coming on. Appreciate your time. And it's been fun to have you on and look, uh, look forward to seeing how your journey continues. Awesome. Thanks so much, Devin. We appreciate it. Perfect.